Oh yeah, here we go again. Another podcast. Forget physics. Forget math. It's time for some AP US history. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. And uh, all you gotta do is just uh, open up the Google Slides on the 19. So th- it's nine o'clock in the morning. You bother <laughs> these kids already? Yeah. Oh my god! Why are you yelling? <laughs> so uh, this is a little bit different because <laughs> I have my wife here. Um, she's off from work as well, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. Uh, so okay, hey, how's everybody doing? Um, all you gotta do is just go open up the Google Slides to uh, 1920s. And uh, I'm just going to go through it. If you have your review book, go get that. And um, this is basically it. So 1920s, really interesting time in uh, American history. It's really kind of the first time where they have the ability to uh, record people um, a lot. And so we start to be able to get like a good look into what people's lives were like. Whereas all the time before this, really didn't know. Um, so here we go. Uh, I like to think about this like this, right? Here's a question for you. If you were going to create like a time capsule, right? You tape all different things that represent, um, the last decade, right? 2011 to 2020, what would you put in it? So you have the stuff that I would put in it right here, right? I'd put in, you have to put an iPhone. I mean, it's, it's changed pretty much everything. So you have your, your iPhone, um, then I would put, you know, we had two very interesting and very different presidents, right? You have uh, Barack Obama, who was the first non-white Anglo-Saxon president we ever had, uh, did a good job. Now we have Donald Trump, who, you know, he, they're two very, very, very different guys. And then got to put masks. I mean, uh, we're ending up this uh, decade in a, quite a bizarre fashion. So just think, like, what are some things that you might add to to this as we look at what the 1920s was all about. So here we go, 1920s. You have the truth, right? And again, because as I had said, you have the ability now to get people's firsthand accounts, uh, understanding the lives that they lived. When I first started teaching, we had a VHS in one of the TVs that were hanging in the classroom on the 1920s. It was all just these old people <laughs> telling their stories. And uh, truth be told, the third year I was using it, while I'm playing it in the classroom, the tape snapped. It, it just died, as it probably should have uh, long before that. It was a pretty old tape. But um, it, is, it is pretty interesting. The myths of the 1920s, right? It's called the Roaring Twenties. What does that mean? Roaring. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's out there spending money. And a lot of people are very, very wealthy. Okay, that's kind of like this myth of the 20s. However, when you listen to the personal recollection from people, their actual stories, uh, it is a little bit different. Okay, people were working really, really hard. Okay, it wasn't like, oh, it's the 1920s, everybody's out having fun. No, not at all. Um, really, people working very, 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 very hard, and uh, a lot of people. Nearly half the country was poor because still in the beginning of the decade, you have most of them still working on farms. And we had had a farming recession uh, during World War One. So really, when you listen to what the people said, it is a little bit different from the myths. So 
let's, uh, let's start off with the boring part of it, the, the politics, okay? Uh, we have our election, 1920, World War I comes to an end. Woodrow Wilson, okay, the president during World War I, he gets reelected in 1916. The United States goes, fights the war, okay, 1917, 18, 19. And in the final years of his presidency, he had had a couple of strokes and his wife, and it was his second wife, kind of a bizarre situation. His first wife died during his first, um, his first term as president. Then he marries another woman named Edith. And all historians say that she was the first real true female president, all right, Edith Wilson. And the reason being, he was not, he was confined to his bed. Uh, in fact, she didn't let anybody see him. Uh, a little, little bizarre. Uh, due to the strokes, you know, he might have lost uh, his ability to speak. We really, really don't even know. There's a lot of mystery around that. But she was making a lot of the decisions in his name towards the end of World War I. Trying to carry out some of his ideas, such as the League of Nations, which we know was a total failure. But uh, so Woodrow Wilson, obviously not seeking re-election, he passes away. Uh, so we have a guy who wins in 1920, and his name is Warren G. Harding. And as you can see from the electoral map, he wins pretty easily, um, and is a, he is a Republican. So Warren G. Harding, you ever hear of him? Probably not, right? Why? Well, he kind of stinks. He's not very good president. Probably one of the three worst presidents that I can think of. Uh, if you want to get some more information on him... Um, page 256 and 257 uh, talks all about him as a president, but here are just some of the highlights of that. Scandals. Lots and lots of scandals are involved with him uh, while he is in the White House. Okay, so what kind of scandals? What are we talking about? All right, first one, most notable one, one that you'll be asked about if we do have a regent's exam, um, Teapot Dome scandal. So Teapot Dome is a place in Wyoming it was a reserve that was set aside for the people of Wyoming. If there was ever going to be, uh, that, that land was going to be used for farming or anything, it would go, the, the money from that would go to the people. Well, they find oil there. And now that we have, at that time, again, 1920s, brand new industry, auto industry is booming. They need oil. So his secretary of the interior, a guy named Albert Fall, uh, he goes and he had his own financial problems that he was dealing with. So this guy goes and makes a deal with some oil executives, giving them exclusive rights to the property. Totally stealing from the public. Absolutely terrible. Known as one of the worst scandals, really, that was allowed to happen under a president. Here's another just absolutely disgusting thing. Uh, $250 million will be stolen from veterans. Okay, there was a guy named Charles Forbes. He was the head of the Veterans Bureau, and this money just disappears. Um, Charles Forbes, he goes to jail. How about that? Goes to jail over this. Uh, and then you have Warren Harding being linked to different organized crime groups, uh, bootlegging. And um, in fact, he was, he was really actually kind of distraught that these people who, when he had started, he had hoped, hey, I'm going to have some of the best minds uh, to help surround me. He wasn't anybody who was all that important in politics leading up to this. In fact, he was referred to as a backbench Republican. Backbench, what that means is when they would have their meetings in Congress, he was in the back. 
he never got to make any comments or anything like that. And yet all of a sudden, here he is, he becomes the, the president. So he wanted to surround himself with really smart minds. And instead, it does not work out that way. He had some health problems of his own and he actually passes away. Uh, and some people say that it was because he was so upset by all of these scandals that were happening just straight under his nose. So that is basically it for our politics in the 1920s. When we, we look at this decade, it really is mostly about pop culture, okay? So, major cultural changes. If you go to page 262, 263, you can see the rise of this new thing, which is so important in our society today, and that's popular culture, okay? Um, millions of people start to go to the movies. Brand new industry, okay? Uh, people at this time, they don't have television. Television is not a thing, right? Obviously, no phones, things like that, like we have today. Uh, so once you have these cinemas that are coming out in, in cities, people are just rushing to go and see it because it's this brand new thing. And then with that, you have the creation of movie stars, right? It's like, oh my God, who's this person on screen? How did they get to be on screen? I want to know more about them. And that is really the beginning of what we call popular culture. With movies, we also have our first newsreels. And newsreels would give video of sporting events. And this is why Babe Ruth, while, while baseball had been around for nearly 50 years, Major League Baseball existed before the 1920s and before Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth is kind of often looked at as like this founding father of the sport and sports in general. And the reason being because he just happened to be there at the time when they're being recorded and he was hitting home runs and he was playing for the Yankees in New York. Um, he makes, it gets to a point where he becomes so popular, people want to come out to see him play, people want to watch the newsreels with him, that he is the first person in, outside of politics, outside of big business, to make more money than the president was making. Okay, really kind of a milestone for, for that. Uh, Next thing we have are the flappers. Uh, if you go to page 262 in your book, there's an, a little section on uh, flappers uh, towards the bottom there. So what are flappers? What's this whole thing about? So basically, here was what we have. Leading up into the 1920s, um, you had really, really well-defined gender roles. Men went out, went to work. They would go to bars and social clubs, and women weren't allowed there. They just weren't. Um, it was male only. So, again, define gender roles. So some women, they're like, nah, what, what is this? This is ridiculous. And so they start to kind of cross over. Some men in bars, especially in larger cities, cities such as Chicago, New York, Boston, um, they were like, hey, you know what? Uh, here come women to hang out with us. Maybe this isn't such a bad thing after all. And so flappers were women who would go out, they'd go to bars, they were drinking, they were smoking, uh, they were engaging in conversation about politics, which, you know, at this time, people would think that politics were for men because in politics, sometimes there were, you know, people lie and, uh, and, and might take advantage and things like that. And so they said, you know, Women are just too pure and too good for that. And so here comes this group known as the Flappers who kind of, they, they buck that, right? They go against it. Um, however, 
Are most women flappers? Absolutely not. This is a creation of the media at the time, okay, and pop culture, uh, much more so than it was a reality. Think about like the Kardashians, think about Kylie Jenner, okay? You know, tens of millions of people have gone to watch their uh, makeup tutorials. There, how many different shows have there been, right? I mean, there was one where you had uh, Lamar Odom uh, was married to one of them. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. But this is popular culture, and it's popular because people like are, become fascinated and want to see what they're all about. And that's flappers. Are most people, most women, living the lives of Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner? Absolutely not. Okay, so again, this is more about pop culture uh, than it was just every woman is out there dancing around and having a, a great time. Prohibition. All right, so if you want to get people really interested in something, if you want to get people's uh, attention on something, what do you do? You make that something illegal. So what is prohibition? Ban on the sale and consumption of alcohol. Okay, uh, that is the 18th Amendment. We have something called the Volstead Act, okay? And that was legislation passed to enforce the 18th Amendment. It's one thing to have a law. It's a completely different thing to try to enforce it. Um, prohibition ends up being a complete and dismal failure because it makes heroes of people like Al Capone, especially in Chicago, because they're bringing the people what they want. Um, especially as we get into the late 1920s, 1929, especially into the early 30s when you have the Depression, all people wanted to do, you know, was be able to have a drink. And the government had made it illegal. Uh, so it was really, really hard to enforce it. So you have the Volstead Act. Eventually, 1933, prohibition is going to be unenforceable and it's going to come to an end. Now, here is a great lesson in government and in the way that the amendments uh, work and the constitution. You cannot just get rid of an amendment. You can't, they don't go into the constitution, just erase it. If you want to get rid of something that exists, what do you have to do? You have to add something later to say, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Everything moves forward. You never move back when it comes to the constitution. So the 18th amendment ends, uh, I'm sorry, the 18th amendment is prohibition. It ends the sale of alcohol. And then the 21st Amendment ends prohibition. Uh, an easy way to remember this, you'll see, you go to college, uh, you'll have all these different invitations to go to this place, that place, this place, and they'll say 18 to party, 21 to drink. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so when you're 18, 18th Amendment, no drinking. 21, 21 years old, it's okay. All right, just an easy way to do it. Um, here you can see a couple of pictures. These guys who are dumping uh, barrels of whiskey and beer into sewers. Uh, this is the Volstead Act in action. This is them trying to make um, bootleggers a, a thing of the past. They figure, hey, if we can get rid of the alcohol, they can't make much money off of it. Here's Al Capone. Uh, if you ever find yourself in Chicago, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you go uh, on a tour that you can take of the underground tunnels that they had. They had tunnels running all throughout the city of Chicago. Okay, Chicago's on the Great Lakes. Right across the lake is Canada, where alcohol was legal. So very often they would smuggle in the alcohol and then immediately bring it underground where he could bring it to all of his uh, different bars and such. Okay, One of the most uh, notable stories 
is of this woman named Jane Hostin. Uh, she was a female bootlegger, okay? Um, her and her boyfriend, they were bringing alcohol in through Montana, and uh, they ended up getting, uh, getting shot uh, pretty, pretty brutally, uh, but they had made themselves lots and lots and lots of money uh, leading up to that point. Okay, so we said that a lot of people were not living this high, fun life, right? So let's talk about the poor, pages 258 to 259. So what happens? Right, we last thing we were talking about with work was how workers were fighting against big business. Okay, how are they doing that? Usually through being in unions, either of the two major ones, the Knights of Labor, the American Federation of Labor. Well, bosses realize they don't want to deal with unions. And how do you not have to deal with unions? Give the people what they want, really simple. So they start to give higher wages, they start to offer health benefits. Um, and, you know, the government had gotten involved. They were, they were establishing new labor laws and things like that. So now people are like, okay, well, I'm making my money. Why am I paying for union membership? I don't really need it anymore. And so union membership is definitely going to drop off for a long time. Then we have the government, okay, right? We had, it was very laissez-faire. Then Teddy Roosevelt comes in and he's like, oh, I'm going to get rid of all this. I will make, I will shut down the mines. I will, I will shut down all of these factories unless you're going to you know, come to a uh, collective bargaining table with the unions. Well, Roosevelt's gone now. World War I is over. And so now we go back to laissez-faire once again under the two presidents that come after Harding. And those are uh, Wilson and Calvin Coolidge. Okay. Uh, small farmers, again, as mentioned before, they're going to deal with some real serious issues after World War I. During World War I, there was this great need for food. Um, we talked about that in the, in the last uh, podcast, right? How even schools were, had their little um, areas, that they, uh, gardens and stuff where they were growing food. Uh, so you had that boom. And then after World War I, there's not that need anymore. So it's just like anything else. We're human beings... They're going to live at that means. They're making this money. Okay, this is great. I'm making money. They start to take out loans to get new machines for farming. And then the boom is gone. And they find it very difficult to pay off these loans. And so they suffer a little bit after World War I. By 1930, less than 20% of all Americans are going to be involved in agriculture. So it's something that's going to drop off quite uh, considerably. Mass consumption. If you go to page 255... Okay, it's very simple. More people are working, that means more goods are being made. With more goods being made, more goods are being bought. Okay, so people are working, they have this money, they're out buying stuff. Okay, so we're going to see a time period of mass consumption. Now, let's draw the connection. What does this mean for people? Well, it has a tremendous impact on women. Okay, again, while you have some women who are fighting those gender roles, many are not, okay? Many women are still at home. And many women will continue to be in the home all the way up to the 1960s. But the emphasis for women is going to change, okay? From being a mother, constantly taking care of children, constantly doing chores and things like that, to instead being more of a wife. Why is that? What does that mean? Well, you have more electric appliances, which now means like, you know, instead of 
washing clothes by hand, you have washing machine, okay? Totally cuts down on the amount of time that women were spending doing these kind of household chores. So what's the result? It's a lot of free time. What do you do in your free time? Well, us today, most of us will be on our phones, right? I'm sure with everybody being uh, hunkered down and stuff, you're seeing a, a rise in your screen time and stuff like that. Um, from a lot of the comments that you said, to, uh, you all said to me, uh, the, the game, uh, what, what is it? Uh, Animal Crossing, I think it is. A lot of you are, are doing that. That's what you do in your free time. Back then, that wasn't a thing, right? Television wasn't a thing. So what were they doing? Reading. Reading ideas of, hey, maybe we can have a little bit more say in what's going on. Having discussions, talking to one another, getting together with each other. And so women go from kind of feeling alone, like, I'm stuck in this house, as many of you are now, right? Uh, and I have nowhere to go. I have nobody to talk to. To that really changing once we have all these uh, new appliances and stuff that allow, again, for um, just a bit of difference when it came to, to work and making it easy. Okay, the Red Scare. Ah! <laughs> Red Scare, page 260. So, jingoism. What's jingoism? That's right, extreme nationalism. After World War I, okay, the United States is looked at in World War I as basically saving the world. Is that the truth? I don't know. The United States gets involved in the war and the war comes to an end in about a year, okay? So, is it, does the United States help to win the war? Absolutely. How so? Fighting on the Western Front, uh, along with the French and the British, they're able to really kind of drive back the Germans out of Belgium, back into Germany. Um, Russia... It just so happens at the same time, they have a complete revolution within their government, right? Uh, in 1917, you have in March a revolution. In September, another revolution, which is much more lasting. You've got Lenin, Trotsky, Stalin, all of these guys going and they turn Russia to communism. In the United States in 1912, we had a socialist and a union leader whose name is Eugene V. Debs. He runs for the presidency. He gets the most votes any socialist will ever get, just about a million votes. Now, at the time, communism, socialism, is looked at as basically a theory. And most people said, this would never work. This is insane. And then Russia goes and becomes communist. And Russia is not just any country. Russia, the land of Russia, makes up one-sixth one-sixth of all the lands in the entire uh, globe, okay? So the largest country in the world just went to this idea that many politicians in the United States had looked at as being silliness, right? Oh, everybody's going to be equal? All things are going to be shared? Ha, 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 that'll never happen. And then it happened, and it scares the heck out of so many different people in the, in the government. So now the government is all about crushing socialists, destroying unions, and making sure that this idea of communism never comes into the United States. We have a guy um, named A. A. Mitchell Palmer, okay? Uh, He was Woodrow Wilson, the president's attorney general. Supposedly, um, somebody blows up uh, uh, his front porch at his house, okay? Uh, Blows it up with a bomb. Immediately, they blame Socialists and communists. And so we have something begin that is known as the Palmer Raids. 
um, where they're just going and, and trying to get all different people who are suspected of being communists and things like that. Uh, overall, 33 people are going to be killed. Um, on May 1st, 1920, it was a bombing on Wall Street, okay? And uh, it's, it's, it just, things get really, really kind of out of control. Race riots, labor strikes, anything that was happening with that was all said to be spurred on by communists, okay? And we start to lump together communists with anarchists, okay? Which is going to bring us to um, a time period where people are afraid to speak their mind, except for some immigrants. So next slide, we got Sacco and Vanzetti. Sacco and Vanzetti. So who are these guys? These are two Italian immigrants living in Boston, okay? There is a murder that takes place. These guys are known to be anarchists. There is absolutely no evidence. There is one woman who says she saw a man who to her looked Italian and was bald. So Vanzetti is bald and Italian and an anarchist. He's arrested. A gun is never found. Nothing. There is absolutely no evidence. It's all completely circumstantial. But in Boston, where there seemed to be this large number of immigrants coming in at the time, um, they wanted to make a point of, of squashing this kind of idea. So these two men are found guilty and they are executed. And afterwards, there are um, parades through the streets of New York, through the streets of Boston. Uh, in fact, it's the largest parade, larger than any Red Sox World Series championship parades. Uh, larger than the marathon, anything, was after the execution of them. And it was people who were protesting, saying that they were not executed for any kind of a crime, but instead for their beliefs. Okay, then we get a weird thing that takes place. You have this guy, John Scopes, okay? He's a teacher. Um, he is a biology teacher. And he's a substitute. So he comes in, he's substituting, uh, I, don't under, I, I don't know the, why he ends up with this job, but he basically takes a, a leave replacement, you know, uh, if you have a, uh, a teacher who has a baby and so she's out for a few months, uh, that was what this guy does. He comes in, takes over, and he starts to teach about the theory of evolution. It is something that is taught in biology now all the time. However, at this period in American history, Anything that went against creation and the Bible was just viewed with so much scrutiny and always looked at as being bad, wrong, okay? So, what do we have happen here with John Scopes? Well, he gets fired, okay? And then he, he's going to be, this goes all the way to the, to the, uh, to the courts. He says, hey, you, you're, you're violating my, my freedom of speech, right? And this is a theory, so I'm teaching it as a theory. And students deserve the right to understand, hey, one theory is a theory of creation, another theory is a theory of evolution. It goes to court. The guy who goes against John Scopes, our lovable loser, William James Bryan, uh, he is going to fight on the side of Christianity, and, and John Scopes is going to lose. William James Bryan will finally, finally win. However... In the court of public opinion, right, what most people thought, uh, they look at this and they say, no, this is weird. And why are fundamentalist Christians so afraid of people presenting another side, another argument, right, of how we all got here? And so Christianity takes a, a real bad hit for this. Okay, finally, finally, 
what do we have here? We've got um, the Harlem Renaissance, the Harlem Renaissance. Okay, so in this, we've got many, many, many different leaders. Okay, you've got W.E.B. Dubois, you've got Langston Hughes, uh, and, and what they're going to be doing is they're going to look into um, trying to let people know about black culture, African-American culture, okay? So we're gonna have now works of art. We have the rise of jazz music, um, and, it's, and it's an identity for especially urban African-Americans. That's why it's known as the Harlem Renaissance. For more on that, you just have to go to page uh, 264, okay? And you know you have uh, the great trumpet player Duke Ellington, uh, who is uh, um, really kind of a, at the head of this because his music is going to bring in not just African Americans but white people as well. Okay, and it's like wow, look at look at this, look at look at what they're you know listening to. I don't know if any of your teachers last year uh, showed you Swing Kids. I hate the movie. I think it's absolutely terrible, but. Um, in there, you know, you, you see it's over in Nazi Germany, and uh, they're trying to listen to Swing Kids, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> they're trying to listen to Langston Hughes. And um, what they did in Nazi Germany to try and basically erase the fact that this music was being put out by a black man is that they changed it. They said, no, no, it's not, it's not him. And this is kind of, this is not the only time that this happens. Um, a few years ago, uh, Finding Nemo came out in North Korea. And being as it's a cartoon, right, you don't see the people, you don't see the voices or anything like that, the voices just happen. So they voiced over and they said that it was made in North Korea, not by Disney. Absolutely crazy stuff, but this is sometimes the censorship that happens. So with the Harlem Renaissance, while you start to have this appreciation of African American culture in music, in poetry, and just in overall intellectual thought, uh, there are going to be people who are kind of frightened by it. And especially down um, in the Deep South, uh, people who see this as, you know, uh-oh, we need to do something to stop uh, this progression for African Americans. And so you're going to see the, 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 the lash back at that is going to be the second Ku Klux Klan, rising of the Klan. In fact, the largest meeting ever of the Ku Klux Klan, don't ever forget this, happened about 500 yards away from the Longwood High School. How about that? Uh, there were over 2,200 members who met at what is the golf course, um, our new, that like uh, soccer field that they've made uh, into the neighborhood between the, the junior high school and the high school. Uh, pretty wild and, and crazy, crazy stuff. Okay, so listen, that's it. Um, Thank you all for, for listening. Well, whoever has listened and made it this far. Uh, I put in a little assignment, um, just I think it's six or seven questions. Okay, so today's Tuesday. I'm going to make that one due on Thursday by the end of the day. All right. Uh, just to, to the, now look, here, here's how this is working. Okay. Really? All your work is due by next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is the end of the quarter. But in order, you know, some people want to have like, you know, guidelines as to, to staying on task and keeping on time and stuff like that. I'm not marking anything late. This is just a completely weird situation. So as long as you have it in by the end of the day, Wednesday, you're all cool. Don't worry about it. Everything is fine. But if you want to stay current, you want to stay uh, to where you should be, 
have it in by, by Thursday, the end of the day. On Thursday, I'm going to have another podcast about the Great Depression. Okay, and then you're going to have uh, an assignment for that that's going to be due on Monday. And then Monday, I'm going to have one more thing for you about the, all the events that lead up to World War II. Really, really uh, exciting stuff. So anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, listen, so if you made it this far, 32 minutes in, if you can come up, so we're, you know, in the 1920s, you talk about different kinds of music and stuff like that. If you can make a suggestion for a song for me to play during the podcast for an introduction or whatever, and then uh, tell me why, why I should play it, I'll pick it, and that'll be what we do, all right? All right, I hope you're all doing well, and have a great day.